So he spent that night there, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 mitch camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he delivered into the hands of his servants, each drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the foremost, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau, and moreover he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself spent that night in the camp. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me what your name is. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Penel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. This is the gospel. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, Stir up your holy power this day and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears that we might hear a word for us today anew and so that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, before I start, I know we have a lot of people visiting and there are a lot of kids. We like it when they're in the sanctuary and making noise, so please don't feel obligated to leave. You're more than welcome to stay. They're way more interesting than I am in the pulpit anyway, so just let them be. That's great. In 2005, uh, I would venture to say there were very few congregations that were dealing with the possibility that one day there may be same-gender clergy standing in many Lutheran pulpits. 
or in fact that there would be a welcome of transgender and non-gender conforming people, that they would be allowed in, welcomed, and greeted with open arms in 2005. Yet, four years later, in 2009, the ELCA voted to allow same-gender clergy and lifelong committed relationships into the ranks of pastor and into our pulpits. At the same time, what's interesting to me is that there was no legal way for these folks to become married. In many ways, lots of the charges that were leveled against the ELCA at the time was that we, in fact, had put the cart before the horse. Suddenly, a significant wrestling match ensued. Many were angry, some were upset, lots of people voiced their opinions loudly. Lifelong Lutherans left their churches, not particularly in droves, but in drips and drabs here and there. And there were lots of people who were wounded on both sides of the conversation. But the large majority of people stayed, and the process of healing and wholeness in which we find ourselves still continues to unfold to this day. In this very context, the good people here at Shepherd of the Hills found a way forward. A new welcome statement was created, which has guided our mission and our ministry today. And what I like to say is that this welcome statement isn't just a nice poster that hangs on the wall, but it has in fact become something that we have dared to live out. Our family and staff have welcomed members of all sexual orientation and identities. More than words, our welcome statement has become our way of being as a family of faith at Shepherd of the Hills. So to all who have written and witnessed to God's love here at Shepherd through the welcome statement, we must loudly all declare, thanks be to God. We are different than we were in 2004 and 2005 and 2009. As a family of faith, who we are and who we proclaim to be is different. Now this very welcome statement is found on the front of your bulletin. If you want to haul it out, it's there almost every single Sunday. No, it's there every single Sunday, not almost. It's there every single Sunday. And what I think is so interesting about it is it was wise enough not just to address the current situation, but like all good theological reflections, it pulls us out into the future. It continues to say that a welcome here at Shepherd are all people of all lands, cultures, and colors, to people with disabilities, those ill and well, to those who are poor, middling, and wealthy, and to all who seek hope, peace, comfort, strength, love, forgiveness, and grace. Like all good theological statements and points of view, it not only addresses the now, but it addresses the tomorrow and all of the more wrestling that is to come. So it's interesting to me that 10 years after the ELCA declared us a denomination of welcome to those with different sexual identities, we suddenly find ourselves in a similar situation of opportunity for welcome, where the ELCA has once again put the cart before the horse. As some of you know, on August 7th at the National Assembly, our representatives voted and declared us to be a sanctuary denomination. Now, we are the first in the country with this designation. And as Paul Bonsack, who was our representative, who was there, notes, this was not the original intent of the assembly, nor was it the original intent of the motion that was before them that they were discussing when this happened. In fact, the plan was to call for a five-year review of what it might mean to become a sanctuary denomination. 
it just all of a sudden happened. In the middle of the conversation, somebody from the New York Synod stood up and said, hey, let's be a sanctuary denomination. And before anybody could hardly turn around, everybody raised their hand and said, deal. And suddenly, we became a sanctuary denomination. Now, later in that week, the ELCA then adopted a motion that as congregations, we should study and figure out what that means. And the report for that is due in 2022. Right on time. So here we are. The cart is once again before the horse. Now, the great part to me about all of this is I was down at Duke when all of this was happening. And so one day after class, I went back to my little uh, enclave where all I was doing was reading. And I opened up Facebook and, started Facebook and started to scroll through it. And all of a sudden, into my feed popped a video that said the ELCA was on Fox News. The ELCA is on Fox News. <laughs> what in the world has just happened? I, and I played the video, and then suddenly in the rest of my feed was one of the most amazing conversations I have almost ever seen on Facebook. And there's been a lot of interesting conversations on Facebook. What was so surprising to me was that there were people on the right, and please know that I do have friends who are more conservative than I am. I have people in my life that voted for Trump. I will admit it, I hang out with them. They often buy me lunch, which I really appreciate. And then I give them grief and they buy me lunch again. I don't know why they hang out with me to tell you the truth. Anyway. What was interesting was on Facebook is that there were so many people who were on the right-hand side of our political situation who were so deeply angry that the ELCA had voted to become a sanctuary denomination. Because the word sanctuary itself was sort of like sticking their eye in, the, in those people's faces. Because for so many, the term sanctuary means doing something illegal. What was also interesting is that my friends on the left were equally upset. Because when they actually read what the ELCA meant by sanctuary denomination, they felt that it really didn't mean much of anything. It was just a nice poster to hang on the wall to indicate that we at least were signaling our virtue by pretending at least in some way to care about people who were undocumented or immigrants. I found this to be enormously fascinating, that both sides of the equation were upset. The reason I find this to be so interesting is that I find that one of the intu intuitions of faithful living is actually looking for God in what, what might otherwise be described as coincidences or silences. And strangely, I've often found that when God does business with the world, almost everybody finds a way to be upset. <laughs> almost everybody finds a way that they are judged. Almost everybody finds a way to feel like they were the ones who were called out. So it got worse. To further my suspicions that God was at work somewhere here in the ELCA and maybe even in our own worship space, on the very next morning when I came back from Duke, I walked into the sanctuary and somebody pulled me into the pews after the ELCA had declared itself a sanctuary denomination and they said, Pastor, if we have the opportunity to host somebody who's undocumented, will we? And I said, yes. I hope so. I'm afraid, however, I may have failed in that promise. Because wouldn't you know it, a month after the ELCA declares itself to be a sanctuary city, I got a phone call from our pastor, Melissa. 
our bilingual pastor and leader of our partners in ministry tapestry. And she called me that morning and said, there is a family from Honduras, a mom and a dad, an 18-year-old and a four-year-old, soon to be five-year-old, who somehow absolutely miraculously made it through two separate detention centers with both of their children in tow. And once they had gotten out of the detention centers and found their way back into the world, they found each other. I can't even begin to explain the unbelievable miracle of a parent and a four-year-old child who made it through during the height of, of children being separated from their families, walk out the door, are suddenly and unexplainably released into the world and find themselves together as a family. This in and of itself is miraculous. After an almost 2,500 mile journey fleeing the rampant violence and death in Honduras, they are still together. And they're right here in Minneapolis. And as Pastor Melissa was talking, it dawned on me, we have an empty parsonage. The vacancy light was on, blinking. Now, I'm not the most perceptive person in the world, but I think you'd have to be a complete dolt not to at least consider the possibility that God is knocking on our door in this situation. It is, in fact, time for all of us to wrestle with God, humanity, and ourselves. What's so interesting to me about our biblical story about Jacob today is that Jacob doesn't know who he's wrestling with. When Jacob finds himself at the edge of the river after he has literally paraded his entire fortune of gifts towards his brother that is coming after him, Jacob stands on the side of the river in the middle of the night and somebody jumps him when he's most vulnerable. It's not like Jacob is ready for this fight. He's worried about his brother. He's just sent all of his protection to the other side of the river. No more words, no more cunning, no more sneakiness is going to protect him for who it is that's about to come after him. And somebody, this mystery person, jumps him besides the river and they start to wrestle. I don't know about you, but I don't like wrestling. I don't like wrestling because I remember wrestling with my neighbor, Dan Schneider, when I was a kid. And I was always bigger than he was, but I was not nearly as aggressive. And I remember getting thrown off his parents' bed uh, up against the side of the wall and bonking my head. Wrestling is mostly painful. Part of the idea is to take your opponent's arm and do what? Put it behind their back so that they what? Hurt. Jacob wrestles with this mystery man in the middle of the night, and it hurts. Because what's he wrestling with? Himself? With God? With his brother Esau? With his conscience? With the way the world works? Let me suggest that the humility of the soul that you need to have in order to see the world differently than the way you have seen it forever is painful. Often when God confronts us, it is sometimes painful. We like to think of when we get God's blessing that it suddenly showers on us and it's all comfortable and warm and cozy. But in fact, the reality is when we enter into a relationship with God, we are most often the one who is changed and often the one who is humbled and even hurt. To be blessed by God is to be 
changed. It's so dramatic, this wrestling with God and Jacob, that his name is changed. His whole outlook on life is changed. Jacob will never exactly be the same. He will walk with a limp. And he will suddenly see those who have limps as children of God. I think we as a family of faith are called to struggle here as well. Struggle with who we are, what we are meant to do in the world, who we are afraid of, and who it is that is right before us asking for help. Certainly to stop at the river for us at this point to learn there is a family from Honduras who is looking for shelter immediately following the ELCA's declaration as a sanctuary denomination at the same time that our parsonage is empty feels like a sign from God that it's time to wrestle again. And it certainly is no opportune time. Trust me, we're a pastor short. David, our beloved organist of 38 years, is about to leave us and flee to Florida to sit on the beach and drink margaritas. Don't even pretend that that's not where you're going, David. <laughs> the most pastoral person on staff, our custodian, Kevin Wicks, is also going to retire in February, so we are three people down, folks. I do not feel like wrestling. So why did God show up at our door and ask to wrestle? Because it's often in our most vulnerable places that God shows up to wrestle. When our defenses are down and we're actually most vulnerable to hear. One of the interesting things that often gets asked about people who are fleeing as immigrants is if they're good people. I want to ask us that same question. Are we good people? Jacob wasn't. He stole his birthright from his brother for a bowl of beans, and he actually puts on blackface to trick his blind, senile father into stealing the family fortune. He faces off with his father-in-law then for years in a battle of wits only to be forced to run away, stealing his father-in-law's two daughters as his wives and taking half of his cattle, cattle and fortune with him. Jacob, let me hear this, let, please hear this straight. Jacob is not a good person. But Jacob is God's person. And so are each of you, if you're brave and willing to admit it. Because it will only be when we lay down our self-proclaimed identities and privileges and recognize that God has given us all the identity we need in our baptism that we will ever be free from our fears of the other, the immigrant and the stranger, the refugee, the criminal, the cheat, because they are all us, and we are all them, and God has blessed us all. So I think whenever we wrestle, our heart needs to be broken on two accounts. First, of our own self-deception, our own status as a good person, and then our heart will need to break for the sake of the poor and the hungry and the vulnerable and the oppressed. For when we're finally able to weep at the plight of the poor, knowing that you are one too, deep down, this is where we receive God's blessing and will forevermore walk with a limp. Now God's blessing has done its job. We are not blessed by our good behavior, but we are blessed by God because of our, and in fact of, our bad behavior. So on Tuesday night, our church council sat down to wrestle. And we together, and please know that I draw myself within the circle. I'm not casting aspersions. I was around the table with everyone. 
and we came to the conclusion that we're not able to provide shelter for this Honduran family who is on the run. There are real risks, internal risks of people withholding finances if we were to do so. There are legal risks. There are risks of people leaving us and the ELCA as they did in 2009. Risks to the family being identified with such a large number of congregational members knowing who they are and what their status is. Because wrestling is always hard and it takes courage. My deep sadness, however, is the fact that I think we told Mary and Joseph there was no room in the inn. All the while, the light that blinks vacancy is still turned on. So my hope is that as a family, we will not run away from this wrestling match. Like Jacob, we will not submit and we will not give in until we have contested this match all the way through. And if we're honest, we all will be changed. Our hearts and our hips must be broken. We will all walk with the limp of humility for things that we have said or done. But it is in the painful wrestling that God will bless us. And it is in our wounded state that we are best prepared to heal others who have been wounded by war and violence and shame and trauma and all the other evils that life brings. Because finally then we will be able to see in each other the face of God. So my hope for today is that when we leave, we all walk out into the world with a limp, blessed by God. Amen.